Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood began in February of 1968. Uh, before that, Fred Rogers had been running a, sh a similar show in Canada on Canadian TV for several years. But the show that we have come to know as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood began in February of 1968. A little over a, little over a year after it began, uh, it was threatened with ending altogether. That was due to conversations around budget cuts for public television, you know, the same sort of conversations that we have today. The Nixon administration wanted to cut the funding for public television from $20 million down to $10 million. And really, that wasn't the whole story. Really, Nixon and his administration wanted to cut out public television altogether. And so in late April, early May of 1969, there were a series of hearings before the U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Communications. And those hearings were chaired by the senator from Rhode Island, John Pastore. And John Pastore was sort of known as this tough customer kind of person. He was really hard to convince. And he had developed his reputation as being someone who was very critical of television. And that was because Pastore was really concerned with depictions of violence that appeared on TV. Even though he was a, a liberal Democrat from New England, he was socially conservative, and that was one of the things he was really... Um, really concerned about. And so for two days in late April, early May of 1969, there were a series of testimonies before the U.S. Subcommittee on Communication. And by the end of those two days, John Pastore is just absolutely fed up. He is sick and tired of written testimonies. He's sick and tired of the pleading for money. And he says as much to everyone in the room. And that's when a little-known children's television show host named Fred Rogers takes the witness stand. And I say little known because in 1969, Fred Rogers was nowhere near the cultural icon that he would become. In fact, John Pastore had never heard of Fred Rogers or his television show that we have all come to know and to love. And so that's when Mr. Rogers begins his testimony. And I, and I debated this week whether I wanted to just describe the testimony to you or I wanted you all to see it. And I decided that it's always better to show than it is to tell. Um, so I have the testimony queued up for us or Sandy does, I should say. Um, it's a little less than six minutes. It's a little longer than I would, excuse me, a little less than seven minutes. It's a little longer than I would normally want to show in church, but I think it's important that we see his testimony. So we have Fred Rogers, the mild-mannered, soft-spoken Presbyterian minister versus John Pastore, the hard-nosed senator from Rhode Island. So let's take a look at this. Mr. Rogers is certainly one of the best things that's ever happened to public television, and his Peabody Award is testament to that fact. We in public television are proud of Fred Rogers, and I'm proud to present Mr. Rogers to you now. Fred. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about 10 minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, one of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust, and I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if all it's right, all right. Sir. Okay. My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago, and its budget was $30. Now, with the help 
of the Sears Roebuck Foundation and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations. Each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television. With this help, now our program has a budget of $6,000. It may sound like quite a difference, but $6,000 pays for less than two minutes of cartoons, two minutes of animated, what I sometimes say, bombardment. I'm very much concerned, as I know you are, about what's being delivered to our children in this country. And I've worked in the field of child development for six years now, trying to understand the inner needs of children. We deal with such things as, as the inner drama of childhood. We don't have to bop somebody over the head to make him, to, to make drama on the screen. We deal with such things as getting a haircut or the feelings about brothers and sisters and the kind of anger that arises in simple family situations and we speak to it constructively. How long a program is it? It's a I'm half hour every day. Most channels schedule it in the, in the noontime as well as in the evening. Uh, WETA here has scheduled it in the late afternoon. Could we get a copy of this so that we can see it? Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. I'd like very much for you I'd to like see I'd like to it. see the program itself or any one of them, you see. We, we made 100 programs for EEN, the Eastern Educational Network, and then when the money ran out, people in Boston and Pittsburgh and Chicago all came to the fore and said, we've got to have more of this neighborhood expression of care. And this is what, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years, I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. Do you narrate it? I'm the host, yes. And I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in, in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. 
this has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> So hopefully you can see why it's better to show that than it was to simply describe it to you. You can see how Pastore moves from being abrasive and annoyed uh, at the very beginning, both in the things that he's saying and in his body language, to being genuinely interested and engaged in what Mr. Rogers is talking to him about. Um, I think that's because Mr. Rogers is describing something that connects at a deeper level with John Pastore. It's not just his concern about what's being broadcast on television. That is a big piece of it. But there's also a part of John Pastore that we don't know just simply by watching that clip, that John Pastore was born in Providence, Rhode Island, to Italian immigrant parents. And when he was only nine years old, his father passed away. And so Pastore had to watch his other siblings while uh, his mother, his now widowed mother, worked as a seamstress. So you can imagine he knows about the sort of dr drama that exists within a family of watching your siblings, of caring for them. He knows something about that. And perhaps John Pastore had wished that there was something like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood available for him to help him through all of the things that he had to go through. That he connects with the, the, the vision and the mission that Mr. Rogers is speaking about. He disarms John Pastore in a sense. And at the end, Pastore just kind of sits back and says, looks like you've earned the $20 million, right? It's still considered to be one of the greatest testimonies ever given before Congress. Uh, people view that as a teaching tool before they have to give their own testimonies before Congress. Uh, Mr. Rogers really speaks about the importance of his mission and his vision. And so as a, as a pastor, as someone who thinks about stewardship, I think that this testimony has something immense and great to teach us about stewardship. Because we as pastors often approach stewardship as a theological issue. We approach it as, let me tell you the reasons why we should give, that uh, there's a deep and rich theology behind it. And I think that, that theology is important, and I am a person who loves theology. We can talk about God's abundance, that God has given us more than enough, and we are called to give back to the God who has given so much to us. But as rich as that is, I'm not sure how uh, effective it is at, at inspiring people 
to give. If you watch that testimony, before Mr. Rogers takes the stand, the stand philosophical statements had abounded, right? And Pastori was just over the whole thing. It was almost, there's almost a sense that before Mr. Rogers speaks, the funding is going to be cut. No one has convinced John Pastore with their philosophical statements, their pleading for money, that they should actually fund public television. Mr. Rogers actually secures the funding by not really talking about money at all. He does mention the $30 it took for him to produce the show back when he started, which is just a, a, such a minimal amount of money that I can't even comprehend that. He, he talks about what it costs to... Um, to, to run two minutes, less than two minutes of cartoons. But he doesn't really speak a whole lot about money. Instead, he talks about his mission and his vision, what he wants to do with his program. That he wants to create a space where the mental health of children is taken seriously, a place where the dramatics of family life can be worked out, that it is a much more powerful thing, he says, to watch two men working out their issues than to watch something of gunfire. He talks about his mission and his vision. And I think that that is what inspires people to give. J. Cliff Christopher in his book, Not Your Parents' Offering Plate, says that the number one reason why people give is, they, is because they connect with the mission and the vision of the place that they are giving to, to the church, to the nonprofit, to whatever organization it might be. That that is why people give, that people want to make a difference in the world. And so when they can give and they can feel like they're making a difference, that is what inspires them. If you think about Greenfield Presbyterian Church and why do you give to this place, it's because I think you connect with the mission and the vision that we have been called and that we seek to live out. That connection with mission and vision is what inspires those first Christians in the book of Acts to give. Uh, the section that I read for us several minutes ago now, uh, it takes place on Pentecost. You remember Pentecost? It takes place 50 days after Easter. It's the, the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit that was promised arrives with a lot of dramatic things going on around it. A, a violent wind rushes through the streets of Jerusalem. And so all the people come out to see what's going on. And then there's even more dramatic things happening. There's uh, tongues of fire appearing on the heads of the disciples. And they start to speak about God's deeds of power. And everyone there hears it in the native language of each. After all of the pyrotechnics and the theatrics, Peter begins to preach. And the fact that Peter preaches is in of itself a remarkable thing. Think back to the story where uh, Jesus is on trial and Peter denies knowing Jesus three times, denies him because he is afraid for his own security, his own safety. And then on Easter Sunday in the book of John, after Jesus is raised from the dead, Peter and the other disciples are locked behind the door of the house, locked because they're afraid of the authorities. And Jesus appears to them, even though the door is locked. But even that wasn't enough to convince Peter to go out and to be a messenger of the good news because the door is once again locked when Jesus appears a second time. Peter finally does leave the house, but instead of going and carrying on the mission, he goes back to his way of life fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And that's when Jesus appears a third time and Peter finally gets it. Poor Peter. He is always so slow on the uptake, isn't he? But now here he is on Pentecost Sunday, and he is preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, in the streets of the city that crucified Jesus. And he preaches using the prophet Joel. He says, in those days, God's spirit will be poured out on our sons and our daughters, on the younger generation. 
that old men will see visions and young men will dream dreams. He says that even on those that society might call the least of these, our brothers and sisters, even they will preach the good news, even they will tell us about the things of God. And so as this happens, the people are cut to the heart, it says. And it says that there were 3,000 people who were baptized and added to the church that day. That is quite a sermon. I've preached a lot of sermons in my day, and I have never got anywhere close to 3,000 people who wanted to be baptized because of anything I said. But what's amazing to me is that what happens after this, and the story that I read for us, is that the people come together and they give everything that they have and they hold it all together in common. Peter has not preached anything that resembles a typical stewardship sermon. He has not talked about a budget, a building. He has not talked about remuneration for the apostles so they can continue to preach sermons that add 3,000 people to the church every day. What Peter has talked about is a vision and a mission, a vision of what God is doing, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do, all through Jesus Christ. It's really amazing to me that the church even exists at all. It was born in a remote part of the vast expanse of the world's greatest superpower. It was a, a sect, an offshoot of, a, of an already kind of marginalized and persecuted religion. It, it began without a, a building, a budget, a, a five-year plan. But it succeeded because there was this vision and this mission, this idea of living out the good news of Jesus Christ, the vision of justice and love and mercy played out through their lives. I'm amazed that the church exists at all in the same way that I'm amazed that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood ever succeeded. Uh, If you've seen the documentary, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, one of the producers for the show says, you take all of the elements that make for good television and you do the exact opposite, you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And if you've watched the show, you know how true that is. A really simple set, some really goofy and sometimes I think creepy puppets, an unusual, an, un, an unusual host in, the, in Mr. Rogers, this mild-mannered Presbyterian minister. But it succeeded because there was a vision and a mission there, a, a vision and a mission of unconditional love and universal acceptance, a place where, where children could come and to work out the realities that they were dealing with. The church succeeded because it had a, a vision and a mission, that it lived out that vision and that mission. Now, that causes 3,000 people to come together and to hold everything together in common. And I want to be really clear about something that I hope is obvious. I am not at all advocating for the sort of communal type of lifestyle that seems to exist here in the book of Acts, where everyone sells everything they have and they hold it all together in one giant pot, right? I I am way too much of an introvert and a homebody to ever advocate for anything like that. I like to have my space. And so I am not at all advocating for any of you to reroute your retirement fund or your paychecks to the church so we can hold it all together in common. I don't want the title to your car and the offering plate when it goes by or the deed to your house. I hope that's obvious. (laughs) But what I am asking you to consider is the vision, the vision and the mission of Greenfield Presbyterian Church. That is what we hold together in common. That is what, I think, inspires us to give. 
what inspires us to give the best of ourselves to this place is because we believe in the, the vision, the mission, mission of who we are called to be. You know, we are here. We are still here, kind of post-pandemic-ish. It's been almost two years, but we are still here gathering together. The fact that I'm standing here in front of you indicates that we have been and are in some ways continuing to go through a pastoral transition. But we are still here. And I remember when I uh, was first arriving here, one of the things that was said the first couple of weeks was that the leader is changing, but the mission stays the same. The mission and the vision of who we are called to be has stayed the same. And I think that is what brings us here together. That is what we all hold together in common. The mission and the vision that is expressed in things like a caring community. This is an incredibly caring community, and I have experienced that as somewhat of an outsider to the church. And I say somewhat of an outsider because I've been here almost a year now, hard to believe, right? But I experienced the care and the welcome. That care and that welcome was just so overwhelming, and I mean that in the best sense of the word for my wife and I. That when we are here, there's a sense that we're family, and that's not just an Olive Garden slogan, right? That when we are here, there's a sense that we are family and that we genuinely care for one another. Some of us have been the ones to offer that care at various points in our lives, and others of us have received that care. But this is indeed a caring community. It doesn't mean that we all think the same about everything, but we accept one another in those differences that exist. We, we are family, and sometimes that means we fight like family, but we genuinely care for one another. That is part of the mission and the vision of who we are called to be. The mission and the vision of who we are called to be is that we are unapologetically progressive in our approach to faith. That we don't think that faith needs to be some kind of sort of strict thing that robs us of our joy, but, but faith is expressed in a certain openness. It's expressed in a, an open-handedness and an open-heartedness and an open-mindedness. There's a, a phrase I heard once that says, you don't have to check your brain at the door when you come here. That we are open-minded and we believe that faith is best expressed in that way, in welcoming and including all people, no matter who they are, where they've been, what socioeconomic class they're in, or who they love. That is the mission and the vision of who we are as Greenfield Presbyterian Church. We are also a church that believes deeply that the, one of the best ways that we have to express our faith is the ways that we engage in hands-on mission in our community. Look at the, the bulletin, look at all the updates that are in there, look at the weekly update or the newsletter, and you'll see that we never stop, that even the pandemic didn't really slow us down, right? We kept going, we kept trying to engage in hands-on mission to make the community around us a better place. That Mr. Rogers talked about the neighborhood and the neighborhood being in this expansive place, and we believe in the neighborhood and making the neighborhood a better place. And we are continuing to grow in, in what it means to be people of justice, people who not only reach out and do hands-on things, but people who care for the systems that make the people we would serve hurting and harmed in the first place. These are the things that make us Greenfield Presbyterian Church. This is the, the vision and the mission of who we are as a community. And, and I mean this with all sincerity. I am incredibly honored and humbled that I get to be your pastor that I get to do this work with all of you, that we get to join in this together. And so next week is Commitment Sunday, where we figure out what we can give to the community, what our pledges are going to be. 
And I know that not everybody has financial gifts to give, and I want you to know that what, if you don't have that to give, whatever you have to offer is incredibly valuable to this community. But as you think about what is yours to give next week, think about the fact that the mission and the vision of the community only succeeds as we come together and do that together. That Mr. Rogers had a mission and a vision, but it was only possible as people came together to fund and to make that mission and vision a reality. That the early church had a vision and a mission of the good news of Jesus Christ spreading across the world, but that was only possible as people came together, and in that sense, they held everything together in common. That our mission and our vision is possible only as we come together, only as we give the value that each one of us has that you make life in this community possible. And quite frankly, it's not possible, it won't happen unless all of us come together to continue on that ministry, to continue on the vision and the mission that God has given to us together as Greenfield Presbyterian Church. Thanks be to God. Amen.